Get thee behind right. me, right. so Satan. I want to But the moon is low and I can't say no. Get thee behind me. Get thee behind me, Satan. I mustn't be killed. But the moon is low and I may let go. Get thee behind me. Anyways, I was already late and then I just sat down in the psychologist's chair. I'm happy as life problems talking about that. No, because we don't actually get to hang out. This is kind of our hangout talk. He's doing the podcast. We were also talking about it, yeah. Someone what are you talking about? What are you guys talking about? Right, so officially starting and kicking it off. We'll probably keep it and all that stuff anyway. I mean, you always do. I, I usually do, yeah. <laughs> no, I always do, don't I? I just have to cut it off at some time. It's your favorite Sometimes bit. I realize that the mic was on and I was like, ooh, it's, I, don't, I don't often get caught with the hot mic like the queen, but, <laughs> <laughs> but sometimes like, ooh, no, I don't want to put that in a podcast. No, no I don't want people knowing not. that about me. Yeah. So, but welcome to the podcast. If you guys don't know what it is, uh, Edward Burgos, I always call you like, you were called Booger all the time. I was, <laughs> yes. yes. Edward Burgos, it's a really cool Spanish name, everyone. <laughs> Edward Burgos and Jason Shrow, we are the two parts of Love Victoria Productions Studios. Um, LVP. That's right. I know, everybody loves how I do stuff like that. And then it just, yeah, I mean, maybe it was you who started doing that. I can't remember. You just did it anyway, so it's awesome. The point being, this is our show to talk about, well, this week we're talking about The Master. That's right. And he's very excited well, no, about no, the, okay, the rest. Hold on, hold of, the rest on, of the listeners on. are going to be like, this is well, how, "Why are we yeah. talking about Paul Thomas Anderson's The Master, which has n- it came out in 2012 yeah. and has nothing okay. to do with anything?" So let's let's just very quickly discuss how um, we are very carefully curating the film experiences that we're guiding you through. This is Ed's way of saying, come on, Jason, where's your advertising bullshit? You're so, usually so good with. So Jason texts me like two days ago, and he's like, "Hey, dude." I'm watching The Master. Big Dianetics vibes. Do you want to do a podcast about it? And I was like... Oh my God, you, you almost sounded like Roy Kent when you said <laughs> oh, it that way. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Keely. Who, who doesn't love Roy <laughs> Kent, by the way? I'm sorry. Oh, One dude. of the coolest TV characters yeah, yeah. ever created. Oh, should we talk? We'll talk about it more. We, we will, we will. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so but I get, this, I get this text message and I'm like, yeah, sure. Because I've been wanting to talk about PTA for a while. And you've been a little bit resistant. And I'm glad that I, I had to rewatch something suddenly. That, that it wasn't like that I kind of got into like a PTA kind of mood. Because I'll be honest with you, this hit me very differently this time round. When you weren't hanging out with your rooms full of PTA fans talking about PTA and everything yes. PTA does. Berets and... <laughs> Baguettes and, and this is the problem. It's not even berets and baguettes because it's like he's not that. We will talk about that, and we will get. That's going to hit first impressions probably. So because yeah. we have to talk about who this film's not for. Yeah. <laughs> but so that's how we picked this film, guys. Yeah. And, and and the show is you know our studio and and you know we love kind of that this is ongoing. You know we're an episode. This is ninety nine, and we have we're the hundredth episode 100, next. Yeah. We're going to do something cool for that. Mm-hmm. Um. But for us, it's an ongoing saga of how the studio changes over time. Right now, our studio is going through a bit of a transition. Not a huge one, but 
I've got a new job in my day job, which is going to help the studio because I get more money. And Ed's taking on more work with his his day job as well. So we don't, him and I don't actually connect as much as we normally do. Like back when COVID was going on, we were talking every day. Yeah. And, and we would most times. It's just now we've literally got things to do. So we've got to move on with stuff. And what's really cool is that we've put the groundwork in place between the two of us and hopefully with some, some additional people which are contacting kind of help us out, that this is going to be the start of us building that team with Love Victoria Productions and getting things running where, you know, we can take the production stuff coming into us and get it out there. But again, we like it because now we can go back to episode 99 and figure out how did we figure all this out at the time? What were we doing? What were we thinking about? Because as the studio gets older and older and older, we go back to these old ones to try to remember how did we figure this out or what were we doing? Mm. So the whole point is to have you there as well. And, and we do encourage questions, comments, whatever. We don't tend to have a ton of them, to be honest. But you are more than welcome to, you know, Twitter, I'm always on these days. You're more than welcome to contact us and, and kind of ask about what we're talking about. Or, you know, if there's a particular filmmaking point that we made, you're like, oh, I like that. But again, it's the, the idea is to get in this, you know, into the studio to indie film directors and kind of what makes them want to write more, what don't they like. You know, something... Better than film majors, I think, because we have more gumption than that. You know, we're, we're definitely going to make films, but, you know, we're not pros, you know what I mean? Or at least we're not, we're not working for Warner Brothers kind of pros, you yeah. know what I mean? I think we're, we, 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 we'd like to aim for some of the stuff that we talk about, uh, but we're no, we know where we are in no, our journey. I, and I always say that only because, like, God, it's usually my, my wife who doesn't do it deliberately. She just forgets. She'll say something like amateur. And I'll just give her oh, a look. And it's I, like, I, I am not so an amateur hard. video yeah. person. Thank yeah, you. Yeah. I put way too much time into this for that. <laughs> so no, we're not amateurs, guys. Like, we certainly get paid for some of the stuff we do. And God, we work so hard enough. Well, it's just, yeah. it's just because of what it entails, what it implies, mm. right? Yeah, yeah, it yeah. really is, technically, you know, <laughs> like, partially right, I guess. I guess. But at any rate, if you want to subscribe, then the best place to find us is on SoundCloud. That's where we have most of our listeners. Um... But obviously Podbean, iTunes podcasts, or iPodcasts, everywhere you can think of we are. If you want to get us off of social media, then there's the Facebook page, which is um, just my name or Ed's name or Love Victoria Productions. Instagram, if you want to see pretty pictures and some posts about stuff, we are Jazzy J. Shiro and Anano LVP. Twitter, like I say, I'm always talking about where I am now because I just find it fun to be like, oh, I'm here, I'm doing this. You know what I mean? If you ever want to have a conversation about anything, really on Twitter, then go ahead, just remember it's public. I always think of Chef and like, but don't have a conversation with me that you don't want everyone else to read. Um, and then LinkedIn, we have the professional page, obviously, from there. But it's, I mean, it's an exciting time for LVP. If you are someone who's an aspiring filmmaker or something like that or wants to work in it, we are looking for people to help out. So dropping us a line and saying, hey, I heard you need help with this, we would pretty much jump on that in 10 seconds. So um, if there is something out there that you would like to contribute to with LVP, then by all means, just let us know. But today we are going to talk about The Master. And, and Ed did set this up well. First impressions, we'll get over kind of the rest of how this comes out and why we're picking The Master. Ed... Always to you first. Mm -hmm. Who is this film for? Um, almost nobody. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, wow, wow. Point, and it's going to be counterpoint for me. But let's hear from Ed on the almost nobody. <laughs> okay. Wow, was uh, that, that bad? Was, huh? that, no, that was for dramatic effect. What, what, what I mean is, okay, so I, I first saw this when I was in a certain kind of place in my filmmaking career and education and um give it, us a detail baby let me let me hear about it well so it comes out in 2012 mm. um 
Paul Thomas Anderson had recently done There Will Be Blood, and there was a lot of hype around it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, Daniel Day Lewis won what his fifth Oscar or something like that for it. This is just fucking amazing. I mean, he is, and you know, <laughs> it, like, Paul Dano, and just it, and and it was a, a, a fantastic film. But I I was uh, at the time I actually um, I took part in this filmmaking course and I don't know if you want me to talk about this here or later. No no no, it's gonna be a long podcast, okay. guys. So start it here. Um, so I uh, I did this uh, film course with the uh, Soul Filmmakers um, group, mm-hmm. uh, which was basically a loose group of people who got together. And showed each other things that they were making and asked anyone if they wanted to crew up or, you know, if they were looking for actors or whatever. It's where I met James. It's where I met Sonny, who no, does the And a the huge YouTube. proponent of this. I mean, the, 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 the people we still connect with that he knew back in this era. And, you know, and I just, we'll, we'll talk about it in the What Have You Watched this week, but I watched a documentary on the Velvet Underground. I mean, mm. this is the thing, guys. Like, and it's not a hard thing. It just sounds like a hard thing. But if you have friends that are all like this, like... Don't sit apart from another. Find somewhere to gather, yeah. and I'm telling you, your craft will all of your crafts will, will magically get better. Yeah, it was it was definitely like a, a, a an epoch in my mm. life. Uh, so anyway, one of one of our members, a guy called uh, Khalid, fantastic actor. He uh, he had gone to a film festival, I think, in Turkey, and he'd met a professor of film. Uh, out at the American University in Turkey. His name was uh, Theron Patterson. Mm -hmm. And he basically uh, said, listen, I have a bunch of filmmaker friends who would kill to, to, you know, uh, have you come and and do a talk or whatever. And so it it got arranged. We we got him over for like a weekend and we met in this school out in the Burbs. And it was really, really interesting. It was the first time that I was introduced to the idea of uh, the importance of camera placement and camera movement. Okay. And what he did was he broke down uh, one of the opening scenes from Hard Eight, which is one of Paul Thomas Anderson's very first films. Yep. Um, and just from, from that moment, I became quite obsessive about like studying the composition of a shot, mm. the... That you know the shot reverse shot, and there's some beautiful examples in this film of mm-hmm. of of that, uh, and so that's the time when I first saw this film, and so I was just gushing, okay. Now I think there's a lot of really amazing stuff in it. Um, I'm sure we'll talk about the performances. Uh, I'm sure we'll talk about the way it looks, mm. um, and and so there is a lot to love there. I think that this is a cinema lover's film. Okay. I think if you are someone who, you know, likes Woody Allen, likes Terrence Malick, likes, you know, these kind of masters of cinema, you know, I think that uh, this is this is a kind of film Ter- for you. Terrence Malick. What was the last one I watched from him? Oh, God, he, The Tree of Life, probably, like with Brad Pitt. Didn't do Traffic, did he? No, 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 no. No, no, it was because um, they have a, they had a, I think they had, because I have Mubi, uh-huh. which is a, a service curated, like these types of films. Yeah, yeah. And because I'll have a decent counterpoint to what okay. you're saying. I think it fits in very well to what I was going to say. But just to address what you're talking about, I think it was a, a film about rock stars. Okay. And it was, I mean, it, it was one of those things that it wasn't awful, but it's not my type of film. And that's so, the thing. So let's yeah. segue into that. Yeah. You know, so 
listen, the company is the company because we have two different types of filmmakers, okay? Mm -hmm. Even though Ed and I are best friends, mm -hmm. you know, we knew we had to kind of pair up because we each have things that we're better at. Me, I would say, and apologies, Ed, because this isn't saying that you're bad at it. It just tends to be my opus, modus operandi for film mm -hmm. is story. I'm mm -hmm. always dead set as a producer and as a writer, yeah. you know, as saying the story is tantamount. If it yeah. doesn't make sense, then this is no, and we're going to talk about this with PTA because yeah. I think it's important. However, Ed showed me there's a different way to look at films and that your, you know, an obsession with story can lead you down the wrong path when it's set, when you're talking about the cinema experience in yeah. all cinema. Yeah. There's certainly a line of thought, like Ed said, about cinephiles. And these are exactly the people I just made fun of. So film majors, people, mm. people that want to see how the film is made yeah. and see these different things, people that love that type of French cinema, those people that told you all about, you know... Uh, Oh God, we were talking about in the last podcast and it just the Citizen Kane mm. and why it's so amazing because if you listen to the story in Citizen Kane you'll be like I'm not sure this story is the most amazing story I've ever heard 100%. that's not the point yeah. like, that's not the point at all the story is quite simple and it's supposed to be quite simple because he wants to showcase actually yeah. the different things he can do with the camera Avatar another great example of like if you're a cinephile you love Avatar for the camera work and for the 3D the story was pants like <laughs> absolute pants and so that's what this is mm. Okay, same reason I didn't like yeah. his other, the other one I saw from him, Boogie Nights. Yeah. Same reason I actually have some complaints with There Will Be Blood, even though story-wise I think that's his strongest offering 100%. when it comes to that. This one is weak when it comes to those elements. The story, yeah. in other words, like this isn't quite up there with a the David Lynch film, but there will be elements to this that you will seriously wonder what the hell is going on. Yeah. And so that's what I'm saying. If those are the type of films that you avoid like The Plague because mm -hmm. you want a solid story to take you from A to B that makes perfect sense, don't watch this film. Just don't. You know what I mean? Like, Agreed. like it's it's absolutely fine. There, That's the whole point of cinema is it's made for a lot of different people. That being said, if you're like our usual listener who's an indie filmmaker or an indie cinephile, this is a film for you. This yeah, is something where there are so many... The, 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 the flip side of the coin mm -hmm. for a Paul Thomas Anderson film is what you could take just by watching it. Yeah, 100%. It's a master class yeah. in how to shoot a film. Yeah. Every single time. Every single time. He yeah. knows exactly what he's doing. And that often makes up for the fact that his story is much more theoretical or ambiguous yeah. Yeah. than you would normally accept. But because, you know, again, I imagine elements of Citizen Kane were like this. Because the shots are that good, you're like, well, you know, like... I guess we can, you know. Yeah, I think I think that you know the the term art house is not something that gets bandied around quite as much, mm. but I think it's still very much a, a, a genre in a way. I think so. And and I think that that Paul Thomas Anderson is pretty art house, even though. They obviously spare no expense. His films are very expensive. They no, shot this on 65 he, He's kind of like film. the Christopher Nolan of yes. Art House because yes. he attracts the finest actors. You yeah. know, again, Joaquin Phoenix, I, I don't even know what that guy's fee is, but oh. I wouldn't want to think it. Like, he he's can... so good, though, isn't he? Well, because he Holy commands crap. sales. <laughs> I, I mean, but like, because we, we, you know, we watched The Joker and. And I don't even think it's commanding sales. I think it's commanding even prestige. Like yeah, he just, yeah, yeah. you have his name in your film, you know you're going to get one of the best performances. And yeah. It's it's similar to what, you know, Daniel Day-Lewis. And and I think that perhaps, and I, I don't know, I don't know the man, but it seems like uh, Paul Thomas Anderson, um, He, I think he might understand that his films aren't always the most entertaining. And he understands that the draw of the actor, of the really powerful actor, 
uh, can be enough for him to keep making his films. It, it is, it and they have been, right? It definitely screams a filmmaker that A, knows that his films are not everyone's cup of tea, but B, also knows how to make them meticulous enough and craft them well enough that he's going to have his backers with mm. him every single time. Mm. And and whereas some directors like this are less are more commercial and less less artsy, so it makes me think of like a George Lucas who just makes what he makes because he knows people are going to come to it. This is like your pure director. Yeah. And unfortunately, like I find and this is another reason I probably am skeptical about him is I find a lot of the and again, the word is not amateur but a lot of the guys at our level fall in the trap of thinking that they're this guy. And they're thinking, I can make a film like that. I can make a film that is shot meticulously beautiful. Even I'm noticing this with my own script that I'm writing right now, which is horrible because then you just start tearing it up again. Um, but this is the point. Like, If you're him, for whatever reason, he's able to attract that top attention. Maybe it's because a few of those people really loved Boogie Nights or some of his early stuff or Heart Eight. Some of yeah. kind of kind of the path, but he has definitely arose in a different era in film, mm. um, and is carrying that torch onwards. With as I said, this isn't a bad film by any means. No, you know we're still in the end of first impressions here. You yeah. know, and, and I don't think it's a bad film. No, so no. like, it's not one I would say skip it because it'll make you go to sleep. Like, I just think you have to even enter... though it might. <laughs> yeah, I just think you have to enter into this like you would with eyes wide open. Yes, and with a very clear mindset. So, so, so we'll park that for now. You yeah. can go away if you want now and come back to us next week and find out what the Magic 100th episode is going to be. Because um, briefly we're going to talk about um, what we saw this week. Because I did see quite a bit of things. I'm, I'm, you know, when I'm not working anymore or taking care of the kid, it's like just want to switch off, switch off and watch something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's that's where I'm at right now. But um, again, starting with you, Ed, anything mm. interesting this week? Well, um, I haven't had a lot of time. Uh, been been working a lot recently. Um, and I've actually kind of wanted something that I could almost ignore. Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, so I've been watching a lot of Seinfeld recently. Oh, wow. Wow. Uh, yeah. Wow. It, it's not something that I grew up with, and I never understood it until I actually watched it. And I was like, okay, this, this is pretty funny. I, it's not for everyone. It's definitely of its time. Um, but it's, it's funny watching it as someone who is actually in their age group. I just love it because you know? you've brought up like Paul Thomas Anderson and Seinfeld in the same two things that like, <laughs> like Seinfeld makes me wretch. Like, I'm sorry. Like, I know mm. Jerry Seinfeld is very funny to most people. Mm. I don't get his humor. Like, I just don't. I don't. Fair same enough. way with, like, it was like the people, people in America loved Frasier. Yeah. And I just yeah, like, yeah. oh, Anglophiles. <laughs> you know, like, and British people are like, we love Frasier. Like, of mm. course you would. Like, mm. it's, 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 it's kind of your comedy, you know? <laughs> Brought to America. But yeah. Seinfeld, you know, like, I agree with you, though. It's brain, non-brain food. Like, it's yeah. brain candy. Sorry. It's more, you know. Just put it something on. on in the background. Uh, but I did, I don't know why, um, but I re-watched uh, For the Dark World. And I really enjoyed it. Okay. Like, I, I, I think it's... You, you always kind yes, of slighted that one. 100%. I was always so mean whenever we talked about about Quite uh, mean. Yeah, I will, I will say that. I mean, it's the only one that takes place in London. You. Quite, yes, I loved you quite a lot for, for enjoying that film. But it is actually not that bad. I don't know. I, th I think, again, it's, it's the benefit of seeing the bigger picture, you know, that you get to kind of understand what the ether is and kind of how it plays into. Right, right. It's not, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's funny. At the time, I think a lot of those second, because that's all the second wave films. Mm -hmm. All the second wave films, aside from, I'm trying to think which ones did really well. Maybe Winter Soldier would be the only one that did really well. A lot of them bombed because people 
kind of wanted something different but weren't sure what they wanted yet. And it wasn't until phase three that we gave people, you know, I say we. Oh, I feel it could only be we. But, but the MC only gave something new, really new, in the third third phase. When, mm. And it, this is all, you know what I mean, when we got to Ragnarok and things like that, yeah. where they were pulling out all these new things post-Guardians of the Galaxy, really. Because yeah. Guardians is the only thing that comes out of phase two that's really monumental. And that's why, you know, it's not a bad movie. It just doesn't go very far yet because they weren't ready. They weren't ready to go whole, you know, the Guardians hadn't been released yet so you could see the, mm. you know, the bigger universe. But we were getting ready for that. And I immediately watched Thor Ragnarok afterwards. Oh, and very cool. It, it just, it connects really well. Like, it it amazes me that they can do that. They can they can have this, um, you know, mapped out, you know, Iron Man and then a Thor movie and then Captain America and then an Avengers and then this and this. But then you look at, like, the Thor movies and they all connect really well. You know, I, it, it's just... And, and you puts know, me in awe. More, I've, I've started thinking guys. about that more and more because, like, we keep we always talk about these three, you know, Kevin, Victoria, and 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 Louise, as if they're godlike. Mm. And I had to remember because because it's something that I, I fall foul of in my day job of looking at people at, in my work that are really good at what they do as godlike. They're not mm. like they just they have a lot of fucking brunches. I think like <laughs> the the point that's so good with the MCU is just how well. The controls were like we know this is the thing it's not scientific guys and this is the problem people get on twitter and try to act like they're scientists if you're not scientists for pointing out that kevin feige has a tight fist about everything that happens on each one of these movies mm. but that is why it all works because there's a there's a playbook mm. and he's got it and if he's going to change it he's going to grab everybody who's been in the discussions with the playbook and have a discussion with them over what they're going to do and so i think that's why you can do that. You know, you can just, you'll be able to do it when you get to phase four and then look from phase three to phase four. It's like seeing the trailer for No Way Out that I told you about. It just fits. It shouldn't. It shouldn't make any sense that we've now got like 400 different Spider-Mans that are going to go on. Peter Parker's identity, blah, 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 blah. Like it should make no sense, but we've, he's laid the necessary groundwork for him to go to Doctor Strange and say, this is what I want to do. Mm -hmm. And I just, I was amazed by that. I said, that would not have been possible in phase, even in Spider-Man with Tobey Maguire, that mm. wouldn't have made any sense. Yeah, but now yeah. it does. Now yeah. it makes perfect sense. And mm. you're like, oh yeah, yeah, you can go do that. Yeah, that's, that's what <laughs> Doctor Strange does. Yeah. So yeah. cool stuff that way, man. Uh, and the last thing that I kind of caught up with was Ted Lasso. I finished, uh, I finished the season. That's good. Let's, let's have a quick, how did you, how did you feel about that finale? Did you, did you enjoy it? Did you... I enjoyed it immensely. I, I've I've kind of been a little bit on the fence with what they're doing with the character of Nate, which you know, because I, I loved him in season one. He, he's he's adorable. Like he's the, the the actor's really funny as well. And like I could see that they were kind of making him go a little bit bad, and I was always expecting it to to be turned around at some point. You know, because that's what they do. That yeah. So that was interesting because usually on that show it's all about. Character has problem, mm. dude with a problem, but mm. let's help him sitcom style yeah. solve the problem. Yeah. So like yeah. all your growing pains and your you know family ties, this was the kids yeah. have a problem, how are we gonna help the kids solve a problem? Yeah. Totally with you on yeah. that. And and Nate was surprisingly he just seemed to they seem to actually you know, Jason Sudikis is writing all this, he seems to dive deeper and you're like which is really the thing that I like about that Ed, is from a writing perspective, that's how it really happens. Yes, yeah. that's, that's the truth of these types of things. Mm. That's why eighty sitcoms are so hated. Guy, guys like Jason Sudeikis and me, because it's bullshit. Mm. No one ever solves these problems in thirty minutes. Like they get worse. Mm. They usually people double down on who they are. The Donald Trumps of the world. You know mm. what I mean? Which is you know we say the Donald Trumps of the world is just you and I. You mm. know what I mean? Like everybody. So, anyways, 
very much with you. Mm. And so, uh, but I liked, I, I liked that they kind of they've turned him into a villain. What, did you like the reveal then? Yeah, yeah. Because yeah, yeah. that was post credits, right? Yeah, it's very football. Like it feels actually very kind of because there's a lot of bitterness and a lot of jealousy and a lot of egos, like in anything, right? In any kind of entertainment uh, business. And uh, yeah, like I, I, I think it works. No, I, I agree. The problem you have that people don't always respect, and I don't respect this, because sometimes, you know, I had mixed feelings about the ending for stuff like that. Mm. However, I'm also now a producer and I'm like, the problem is season three. Mm. You cannot do season one, okay, you're introducing everybody. Season two, more feel good factor. Mm. Feel good factor gone now. People don't care. Like, mm. people will think it's boring mm. if all you do is have Ted win. All the way through season three. So you have to have a new challenge. What's the new challenge? Well, one of the people that he brought up, mm. you know, is now one of his mortal enemies mm. over with, you know, one of the largest dickheads has ever been portrayed on. You know, Anthony, and it was it, it's it Giles, Anthony Stewart Head, right? Yeah, like, yeah, oh yeah. my God, like, <laughs> you poor man, you pay you pay a, you know, an asshole so well. <laughs> he does. <laughs> I loved you as Giles. So I'm like, which one are you? Gotta hate when actors do that. Like, are you the good guy or are you the bad guy or are you both? Uh, you know, I mean, he he epitomizes like the, the the British accent evil guy. I feel like oh, I just you know? and I mean it's, it's he plays it too well sometimes for yeah. me. I'm just like wow, you really are this guy, aren't you? Yeah. Um, so yeah. So what other aspects of that finale? Like, did did you like the? Um, I just had this with another film, another with, with Squid Game as well. But you know, what about the coda? I thought the codas were weird. To be honest uh, with what, you, remind me. One is Nate. Yeah. And then the others, like, when she's... Sam and Rebecca? No, no, that wasn't... I don't think that was a code, or maybe it was. Maybe it was okay. the first one. There's three of them. There's, like, Sam and Rebecca, and he's like, oh, I'm he's doing this really for me. He's really talking to, to her, but he's talking, talking to... Talking to Ted. But no, yeah. then there was the... the um, We were just talking Keely about him. Keely and, and Roy. Him. Yeah. And he's like, let's go on holiday. And she's like, nah. And you're like, oh, shit, this is ending. Yeah, and so, yeah, like, yeah. like again, it was... I guess that's why I didn't like it, because it was such a clear grab for the third season, like, because I turned to my wife, and I was like, it's just like, you know, friends taught us this. Yeah. So anyone that grew up in our era yeah, knows that yeah, yeah. The, 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 the necessity of keeping someone together in a, in, a, in a show, like, the necessity of keeping someone apart in a yeah. show, I should say, is there. Yeah. Why? Because for some reason, if you stick them together and you don't bring them apart, boring, they become yeah. boring, yeah. and you don't want them on the show anymore. It's a horrible trait of the human human condition that we just can't stand to see people happy for well, you know, longer I than think the season. This is why, um, like having a plan for how many kind of seasons to go through, and you know the kind of story beats that that you're aiming for is so much better than just well, let's hope we get renewed near the end of the season when I think know. and I think now especially a place like Apple Apple definitely seems to be on the forefront of that type of planning um, I can't speak anything about Netflix because as you know I've never it's funny I was actually no 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 I was actually looking at the Economist book selections because they always pick like 20 or 30 books that they say you should read these mm. And one of the there's a there's a book by the CEO of Netflix about some of the stranger business decisions they make and why they think they work. I'm like it's on the wish list. Like it'll be read within the next month because I think that will give me insight as to where because he he has to be right to some degree. He's got shareholders that love him. So yeah. do you know what I mean? There has to be some truth to that. I just you know it was like when talking about Squid Games, they Netflix released this figure that said that like it was worth. 800 something odd you know 810 million to them variety was reporting on this okay and the issue i had ed was like because i just finished squid games actually i got 15 minutes of it left but we finished the bit the best part of squid games mm. and it was good and i love it but then you had the metric like that and it's like such an unhelpful metric because right. 
only Netflix can use that to benefit them because they're the only ones that know if there's any truth to that metric or not. Yeah, so yeah. it doesn't benefit Warner Brothers, ourselves, or anybody else because I don't know if you're telling the truth or not. Like, I can't tell you where, what's the 1817 million. And it was a confidential document that was leaked, if I remember correctly, to the New York Times. And so mm. no one knows what this means. Mm. And that's the problem I always have with Netflix. I, I, I am a businessman. Like, that's, that's what I do in my day job. Like, I want metrics. I want numbers that are hard, clear facts that show me this is what's going on. How you generate eight hundred seventeen million? In is that from new subscribers, from rejoiners? Like, where does that money come from that you're talking about? And that's what I mean. Unfortunately, in my profession, mm. like if you can't find it, it's what I used to call unicorn money. Mm. And I had this old managing director that used to love that term for me because it was like, well, what does that mean? It's like it's money that you don't know where it really is. You're just chasing it. Mm. You know what I mean? You don't even really know if it exists. Mm. And so I can, you know, I, I just it's one of those things that I want to read this book to see if it gives me any insight. Mm. Um, but I still have qualms, you know, about mm -hmm. like that kind of like, oh, it generated all this money from us, but like from what? Mm. What did, was that from sponsorship? Because they don't, they don't I mean, advertise yeah, either. They must, they must have something to do with the stock price. I don't know. I don't. That's know what I mean, and, and and that's that's what I mean. Like that kind of jiggery prokery is the kind that you, you're forgetting. I'm a guy that used to like. I, I didn't, you know, I, I wouldn't be able to tell you on the podcast at least, but like Enron, mate. You know what I mean? Like that was exactly how that went down. Is right. it was a bunch of jiggery prokery the Ponzi and, scheme. Well, that was later, and this Enron was really that they just said they had all this money and they didn't have any of the money. Mm. You know what I mean? And then when you looked at the books, it was like, no, that that's all some clever accounting. So. Mm. Do you know what I mean? I just, I hope, pray, whatever. You know, Facebook was always accused of this too, and then they ended up being completely legit, you know, with all mm -hmm. the money that they make. So, but. Um, yeah, but they're like evil corp, so. Well, now they are. I mean, isn't that funny how the human narrative changes? Them and Google. Yeah. Apparently, Google do some really messed up stuff. I know, but like, like this is what I mean. These were like when we were not kids. Mm. Not this isn't kids. We were in our twenties. These were like the companies that you wanted to be. Like mm. you were like, yes, Amazon was never on that list. Just so you know. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, Jeff. Take that, Jeff. <laughs> like, not that I don't like you, Jeff. Um, but you know what I mean. Like it, 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 these are the companies that were supposed to be like. Like I still watch the internship and like I want to be a noogler. Mm. And now I'm like, well, maybe not. Like these are, these are like evil empire. We've all been like fed the Kool Aid. Okay, so what have I been watching this week? Um, I think I've talked about most of it, but the one I went to see last night that I told you about was Venom. Yeah. Carnage. Yeah. Um, good film? No. Should I mean, I, I, watch I, watched, I watched both the Venoms this week. I should yeah, say that yeah. because I, like, I never, I'll never just watch a sequel if I haven't seen the first one. Yeah. So, Had you not watched the first no, one? No, I bought the first one this week. Oh, and I okay. think I watched that one on like 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 the weekend. Yeah, yeah. And I, lo and I generally liked it. I yeah, was like, you know. That was my feeling. Especially when I saw like the background to it. Tom Hardy writes this, so this mm. is him trying to do kind of his superhero thing. I love an actor trying that's not a loser, mm. trying to be a loser. Like, because it, it just makes all of us that, that honestly feel like losers sometimes like, no, man, we're really losers. <laughs> that's not, we don't get to look like, you know, Tom at the end of the day. You know, it's just a bit funny to me because I'm like, yeah, you, you get to like do whatever and all of a sudden you're cool again. Think bigger, darling. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> so, but you know, it was, it wasn't bad. Like it was, it was one of those things yeah. like it was up there with like, it kind of reminded me of like, Ang Lee's Hulk like some people hate that one uh, yeah, 100%. I don't hate it yeah. I don't think it's great but it's not a bad film it's no, just no. an old comic book film they yeah. weren't they weren't as always connected yeah. like, like the MCU yeah. so that's what I mean it doesn't... I miss the connectivity though, I'll be honest do you? yeah when I watched the first Venom and it makes me kind of do I want to watch the next Venom because I, I, I loved Venom and Carnage the comic books all that yeah, kind of stuff yeah 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 but the idea that you know, for example, Venom doesn't have the white 
spider kind of no and so like that that was the first thing and the story like again the story from the first one this is why i was like in my mind comparing to like the fast and the furious because the story was really basic Mm. and it was like and it was really bad Mm. like it was like there's all these aliens and these aliens are doing these bad things and like and then the dialogue was not great either so i was like why why am i watching this why am i enjoying myself watching such a waste of a of, of a bad guy as well they had like one of the best british actors um in the film he played the doctor and like he does nothing he's so dull yeah yeah and and, and again i think that comes back to that this is like a, a thought piece or a play piece on tom hardy getting to play venom um and does he voice venom as well the other voice mm-hmm. okay so that would probably be it then it's like his 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 ability to use that as, as, a, as a vehicle now ed's making the like lucky bastard face i I would more like say like it's enjoyable. Like I don't know why it's enjoyable. Okay, but but, but let's maybe not for you. Let let's let's put and I know they're very different characters, but like Deadpool, Ryan Reynolds and Deadpool, right? See, and I wasn't as big a fan of Deadpool. Really, like because oh. I don't like Ryan Reynolds though. Okay. Ryan Reynolds is one of those guys that laughs at his own jokes. I hate people who laugh at their own jokes. Like stop thinking you're so funny, you little hot shit funny guy. That's fucking so funny. Everybody thinks you're so fucking funny. Like I'm a hater. I, I'm just admitting to it. All right. Everyone knows that about me. I'm a hater. And Ryan Reynolds doesn't like haters. I love him. Uh, I think he's hilarious. I think what he's done with the character is hilarious. No, I mean, it was novel. It was definitely novel. I I, I was a big fan of the comic book of Deadpool, though. And that's mm. why, like, I feel it's not cultural appropriation in the slightest, but it feels that way. Because I listen to people, like, I just listen to people talk about Deadpool. And it was like... I don't think any of you read that comic book when he was X-Force number two. Like, he didn't have that kind of personality. He was just an assassin. Like, and he was a quiet one. And that's why I get kind of pissed that now he's this, like, jokey whatever. I'm like, read X-Force up to, like, X-Force 45. Like, he didn't speak. Like, he just was this really kind of... He's, you know, he's changed... No, you know me. I can't stand the dudes of Star Wars are like that. So how could I I stand myself being like that way about Deadpool? But we are where we are. You know what I mean? And it's Ryan fucking Reynolds. Fucking funny guy. I think you're so funny. And he's so good looking. Oh. Ed knows how to rub it in. You'll <laughs> never be Ryan Reynolds, Jason. Because that's what you want to be. Um, so no, I mean, Deadpool, cool. This not up there, like, as far as... I. That's another thing. As far as gross appeal, yeah. I think it's more... Actually, it's weird. This is more of a gross appeal to everyone rather than gross appeal to comic book fans yeah. kind of deal. So they weren't aiming for the nerd crowd on this yeah, one. They yeah. were aiming more for, like, the Action movie. everybody yeah. crowd. Like, do you like films that have lots of explosions? So Venom Carnage is the same kind of thing. And the weird thing about that I'll say about Venom Carnage, I saw the trailer, all these things I see the trailers like 100 times now because I go to the movies every week, right? I saw the trailer 100 times. There's the main plot of the story is different from what, you know, I hate when they do this. They introduced another character and all of a sudden it was like, wait, who is she? And it's like this massive part of the story that was never introduced in the trailer. So I'm like, oh, here we go. Yeah. yeah. Um, You know, and the other thing I mentioned in the Twitter, the the tweet that I had is like, when you see the end of Venom, like, dude, that Woody Harrelson as Cletus Mm. with that fucking red hair, the Mm. big, like, curly, did you, Mm. do you remember that? Yeah, yeah. The last shot, like, when when he first, Eddie Brock first meets him. Then he gets normal hair in this one. I'm like, no, give him the clown hair. It was fucking great. It was hilarious. 
Yeah. It was so How old is Woody? Because I, I really like Woody. I, I, I want... I he's fine. Woody, Woody's just like Tom Hardy in this. Like, these guys all have the chops. Like, yeah. they're, they're acting the best of their ability. I think where it falls apart, you know, no offense, Tom, is a little bit in the writing. Mm. Like, not everything connects the way it should. But, you know, what I really like about those films is they're actually like buddy films. Mm. They're buddy films about right. Venom and him. Yeah. <laughs> and I know that sounds... 100% I'm going to watch it. But you yeah. know what I mean? Like, it's stupid, but it keeps me entertained. So I'm like, all right, I'll, I can deal. I can jive with it. Mm. that's the big thing that I watched this week I was supposed to be seeing Halloween Kills but they cancelled it at the uh, Empire Theater there are just to warn you at Cineworld at the Empire there are like these they had to convert it right and they're not the original owners and so they do have a few cinemas that were kind of wedged into rooms that I think were either private screening rooms or hotel rooms mm. or whatever they were before they were a Cineworld room and so these ones break or have problems all the time and so I've been I was thrown into the Many Saints of Newark for one of those and it is mm. like being in a tin can and then they close the door and you're like I don't want to leave like <laughs> I feel like I'm going to die in here and so like I'm pretty sure that's why I got the cancellation for this one like oh the water's leaking or something like that we can't mm, have you probably, in so, right. so I saw that instead um, still super excited next week actually 100th episode you know you know, we know what we're going to do we already made the plans to do it yeah we're going to do in Dune Dune baby so that's that's what I'm mega excited for we're going to go see that on Monday yeah. Ed and I but um, let's move on to talk about because I, I do think we're going to talk about this a while I mean, I didn't watch that many things this week. So let's talk about The Master. Okay. First, like, tell me about this new vision of it that you've had. Uh, well, like I say, I I was... When I first watched it, I was very much in a kind of educating myself kind of moment in my film career. And I think when you are... A, when you're a filmmaker... And you begin to understand why certain things are done the way they're done, mm -hmm. right? Um, perfect example, shot, counter shot, right? Uh, a, a, a basic conversation, okay? And then somebody shows you why that works, mm -hmm. okay? Um, I can very clearly think the first scene where... Um, Philip Seymour Hoffman's character is um, processing Freddie, Joaquin Phoenix's character, for the first time. And I was, I was just thinking of that nothing, yeah. nothing easier than processing to talk about shot, shot, counter, counter shot, shot, yeah. shot, counter shot, uh, and things like the negative space within the frame. So when Joaquin Phoenix is in frame, his his face is in the frame. Um, Philip Seymour Hoffman is covering about two thirds of the frame mm. with a with an over the shoulder shot, mm. right? And like that is done because you're compressing the space that Freddie is in, so that he looks trapped. He looks like he can't move, mm. right? And may maybe that's obvious to some people, but it took me a really long time to to understand elements like that. Uh, and the way it was explained to me was through Paul Thomas Anderson's uh, film, Hard A, like I said. And so watching it done the way he does it, like he speaks, uh, he speaks a language with his, his film. There you work, go. And you that, I mean, that's the reason why you have to talk about this one, because you 
you know, this this is the same thing we've said this before on the podcast about people like Kubrick. Yeah. Like, to understand Kubrick, you have to understand how he made things. To understand mm. Scorsese, to understand Alan. Yeah, the, I, I, I don't think you have to, but but understanding that he he knew what he was doing when he showed you a certain picture ah sorry to make i should feel say to way, catch you know? certain things yeah, in a kubrick yeah, yeah. film so maybe kubrick is a, is a good example of this because kubrick's this is where kubrick's better yeah kubrick's films can be watched without that knowledge of his playbook of the his references mm. the things that are put in there scorsese yeah. scorsese the same yeah. way so this yeah. is where pta is pta but yeah. when you do get the playbook the other the other side of the coin that i'm going to try to kind of keep this to keep it positive on our end um once you figure out his way of communicating with you, it's almost like, like you know, it's it's almost like, you know, non-verbals. You know what I mean? Once you figure out how his shots are communicating the story and you put yourself into that film mode, then this is a multiple watch film. Yeah. You're going to see it yeah. and keep going back to it and pick yeah. out. Boogie Nights is like that yeah. now for me because Ed told me about this and now I can go back to that film and pick out even more things every time. Yeah. The thing that, that always stunk to me about Boogie Nights is, and it's the same problem the with The Master, is that it's a boring story. Yeah, yeah, 100%. It doesn't have the, the, the yeah. beginning, the middle, and the end it needs. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. it has something, yeah. but instead of telling me what it is, he wants to show me and have me guess. Yeah. And it, and especially with a guy like Joaquin Phoenix, I find that difficult. Yeah, I, and, I, and I think, I, I and I hope this isn't as insulting as, as it might sound, <laughs> but it's almost like mime, right? Yeah. The art oh, wow, of yeah. mime... Right, because it's a very serious art that people study for years, and it's you know clowning and and all of these things. It's a way about communicating emotions, right? Um, but for a lot of people, it's not entertaining. Well, you know? Joaquin Phoenix is is a great example of that because it helps me define more of what I I actually don't like about him. Okay, because I I understand completely why you pay a lot of money for him. I understand he is a phenomenal actor. That is not mm. what I'm saying, but yeah. When he portrays his characters, because I've seen him in a couple things now, when he portrays his characters, it's clear to me that he knows mm. where he is with his character. Mm. And he knows exactly where he is with his character, to a fault. Like, to the fact that if I turned to him on set, cut the shot, and said, okay, what are you doing right now? Like, who are you right now? He could tell me chapter and verse where he is in the story. Problem is, the viewer isn't always with him. And I noticed that in the master that he knows the character he's supposed to play and he's playing it brilliantly, but he's not, whether that's exaggerated acting or however you would do that, yeah. he's not bringing me with him. Yeah. I'm like, is this just yeah. supposed to be this? What, yeah. what does this mean? Yeah. You know, I see the action. I don't get it. What it refers to. Yes. And so unfortunately then it almost becomes when that happens, mm. then the viewer is left to make assumptions. Yeah. And what you have to do in the master with Joaquin's character, a lot of times is is make these negative assumptions about his his yeah. horniness, his mm. his kind of sexuality, yeah. and it's just it just isn't pleasant. You know what I mean? It was like yeah. I want to know more. There's clearly we're trying to cut into yeah. that. There's a reason he's like yeah. this, but you have to show me. You have to do more than show me yeah. now because showing me doesn't really tell me unfortunately what's going on. Yeah, and that's really interesting because he's almost pointing out a fault in film, saying like because we always say the opposite. We say yeah, show, show me, don't, don't tell, tell me. me. Yeah, and it's like, but no, I need you to tell me right. because I don't understand <laughs> exactly. what the visual yeah, yeah. is trying to. It's almost going too far the other way. Right. Yeah. Right. If that's even possible, right? Because yeah, yeah, it's yeah. film. It's a it's a it's a visual medium. Yeah, and so yeah, yeah. that's why again I'm hesitant to say like Paul Thomas Anderson's crap because he's not. <laughs> no. It's far, clear, far from far from it. it. Yeah, I just think he's he's the same. You know, 
The other thing, Joaquin Phoenix, when I bring up that with the the other one who's in this easily, Philip Seymour Hoffman. Yeah. He's not an actor I particularly like because, again, he does the same thing. He has such a command mm. of his characters. Mm. The problem is I never end up liking any of his characters. I find him in a completely unlikable actor, mm. or at least he was. Mm. Rest in peace, my good man. Absolutely. Um, I feel differently about Philip Seymour Hoffman. Mostly I, I mean, we've, yeah. because... You know, in Along Came Polly, he's like the funniest thing in that movie. You love him in that, huh? <laughs> it's so and then, and, you know, it's a good one. It's a good one. I did like him in that. I shouldn't say I hate him in everything. My, he's, my... he's definitely like one of these actors' actors, though. Yeah, like... and I just felt he got typecast after a while, aside from things like Along Came Polly. But you had, even in there, he's playing like a caricature of who he really is. Yeah. And so, but I look back at things like The Talented Mr. Ripley, where Ugh. I think he's just playing like a vision of himself. He's so good in that, though. He is, but that's what I mean. But he's not, to me, he's not acting. Like, he's like, he's just being Ugh. the actor's actor. He's uh, being okay. pretentious and high-minded. Uh, and that's what he is in this as I, well. Yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to respectfully disagree, just because, for me, Philip Seymour Hoffman could do no wrong. Like, Fair enough. He, he and, and here he gives a... Absolutely enthralling performance, commanding. I think. I think the criticisms that you put towards it, where it's like you feel nothing really for this character, you know, and almost like a, a, a disdain when you're not sure if you're meant to feel that way about them or not. Well, and, and it was more that second bit because I could understand. Like you're talking about the master. So mm. The master is, you know, if you don't know, like this is. It's not directly Ron L. Hubbard. Right, yes. Okay, we this, should is, talk about that. this is not Scientology. However, a lot of it is borrowed from what yeah. happened with Scientology. It definitely has the vibes yeah. of, of Dianetics and Scientology. And and when you're talking about leaders of those things, they all yeah. cults of personality. Right. So I get, I think, Paul Thomas Anderson's thing saying, I'm not going to tell you what he really thinks about himself. Right. We never get that moment where he's crying on the inside where, because where you he, know he knows he hates you himself. You know you would. You know what I mean? That's the thing that pisses me off is like, mm. Paul, the problem with leaving it out is it's something that every man knows he would feel like. Mm. Every leader of a cult still has doubts. That's the mm. whole point is they're able to hide those from everybody else. But he chooses not to go down that route and instead mm. makes this guy, as I said, the most disturbing scene, which, which again, I like it because it makes you remember it, mm. is when he's talking to, is it Laura Dern? Yeah. At the end there. And he just, like, he basically tells her to fuck off. Mm. And it's like, he's never like that until that point. Yeah. And, oh, I'm sorry to say he's never like that. He's never like that with his family, with yeah. his people in his close circle yeah. until that point. And it shows, like, the disintegration, which is also trying to talk about the strong arming that happened in Dianetics. But, yeah. But it was just interesting to me. Yeah, it's it's also kind of the ambiguity of the film's stance. Like, is it asking you to feel sorry for Freddy? Is it judging the, you know, the, the cult? It's kind of doing none of those things, you well, know? Well, and, and when I, you know, obviously you go to the reviews, because I was like, you know, the minute you come out with questions, you want to think, well, what did everybody else think? And, mm. and I think reviewers, especially the, the, the good critics, the ones that have been doing this forever, which is someone I would trust on this, like, you yeah. know what I mean? Like, go to, go to your top Guardian guys, go to your top independent guys. But they're all talking about that this is a film that, that deliberately doesn't do that. It, mm. it sets it for you yeah. to say, what do you think? And I know stories, I, I like certain books that are like, yeah, I've been known to like a book that, like Mysterious Stranger mm-hmm. by Mark Twain. It's a mm-hmm. short story. It's bizarre. But I love it because mm-hmm. it's very open-ended at the end being like, well, make it what you want. Mm-hmm. I like stories like that. I didn't hear. I just was like, I couldn't tell whether you were trying to make like a docudrama or you were trying to yeah. make me think about stuff. If you were trying to make me think about stuff, you shouldn't have made it so on the nose mm-hmm. because it feels too real life. Mm-hmm. 
and and that was the problem. And then the sexuality thing just completely confused yeah, me. And it, it was it was bizarre. Right? First time, first time, and I'm just going to bring up the various different. Like, yeah, yeah. First time is him as the sailor, and then yeah. he's humping the thing, and it's it that awkward. And I like yeah. the scene, yeah, because I was like, oh, this is telling me a little different about this guy than before. Yeah. But then he doesn't take it anywhere. And then we, you know, we don't really, what does that mean? Like, yeah. what, and, and we come back to it at certain points. Right. Well, and we're, we're and still it's... trying to be like, well, what does that mean? Is, yeah. is it like, is, is he overly sexualized? Is that what yeah. you're saying? Yeah. Because yeah. yeah. it doesn't manifest anywhere else. Right. And then you had that other scene, which was really, really weird to me. And I, it yeah. might have been because I, I didn't watch the whole thing at once. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Let me, get, let me guess which one it is. The scene where Philip Seymour Hoffman's singing. Yes. And halfway and, and, through. And then all of a sudden, pussy everywhere. There's all the like, women. Of all ages, are entirely naked. And I, I really, you know, Ed, you know me. Like I do watch this in the middle of the night after I've been hitting the sauce. I was like, what? Wait, what? Like, wait, do I need to rewind? And I did rewind like twice, yeah. twice, Ed, to be like, nope, nope, it's not that. It's not that you slept through no, no, yeah. the important part. Like this just happens. Yeah. And then the next scene, she's like, if you want to sleep with somebody, you can. Yeah. And I was like. What is going on? Like, what big piece of this did I miss? The, the the hand job as well that's happening. While oh, she's that's right! Him. I completely forgot yeah. about that. Yeah, yeah man. Yeah. No, oh God! Look at the face <laughs> you're making right now. Yes, yes. Amy is that Amy Adams? Amy is it? Adams, yeah. Amy Adams definitely looks like she knows that she can do a hand job in that one. We're, that's the only dirty male she, thing we're going to say on this show. She was a revelation for me in this film. I must admit. I mean, that. that was that's that's the Paul T- Tom Anderson stuff. I hate though because the same probably had in Boogie Nights. Like he doesn't know how that's perceived on screen. Mm. Making Amy Adams look like she can give a really fucking good hand job it's not necessarily what you want to do with that actress but again <laughs> and you know he does he he wins awards for his for his actors and stuff i mean you can't like it 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 works and if you're an actor she was comfortable if, if, giving that hand job and when she gave it if she did if, not think it was pornography then absolutely no, no, but that's but that but that's what i that's what i'm saying like there's certain uh directors that actors will just entirely trust Right, and it's clear that happens yeah. because going back to that scene. See, this is what I love because you get into this discussion about what a weird and stupid scene, but then you have to talk about the directing part of it. Yeah, and that's where he's a master because yeah. did you notice everyone? There's no body doubles. No, okay, there always are. Okay, Amy Adams never really shows her real body to you. Why? Because who fucking would? I wouldn't. Yeah, you know, I want you to see what I really look like. I want to look like fucking the Hemsworth brothers. Yeah, yeah. the brothers Hemsworth. That's why I look. That's my body double, right? So, but there you were seeing her in a chair. Like I was so impressed because yeah, yeah, yeah. you, it's not impressed at the story. That's the problem. I was impressed no. that that actor believes in you so yeah. much to sit like that. And then as Ed pointed out, deliver like one of the most amazing hand jobs I'd ever seen in film. <laughs> so, and I'm saying something, right? And, and, and throughout the film, a great performance. Like before, amazing before, performance. before that film, I like, this is before arrival, before, like she really kind of broke out and into into the actress Amy Adams. You know? I can't. You know the first time I saw her. Yeah. I'm pretty sure I have to go back now, but I'm pretty sure she's in Smallville. Really. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Interesting. I, I remember from to... Enchanted. Did you ever watch that? That was a really good Disney. Yeah. Movie. Was she in Enchanted? Yeah, I she never. She plays the princess. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, and that's kind of how I perceived her for the longest time. And then you watch her do something like this. No, she's... she's and it opens, it opens doors, Amy, man. It, you said she was... It, the error for her, it was Amy Adams and Rachel... They were McAdams. Two, yeah. McAdams, the two yeah. Adams. And you were like, wow, where yeah. have these two girls come from? I say girls, and that only means that I find you really attractive. I'm sorry. You know what I mean? <laughs> but like, I was both on the screen at the same time, and they were both... The thing was, it had nothing to do with their looks. It just was like, 
beautiful it, it, you know it goes back to what I was saying about Jennifer Connelly beautiful women yeah, yeah. who have these amazing acting chops as well yeah. not that I think they're mutually exclusive but like wow two yeah, at once yeah, yeah. you know like, it was like yeah. there were just so many good films coming out with both of them but yeah, yeah she's, she's shown even more versatility even what was the latest thing I just saw her in like so many different things yeah yeah um so she was great, and you know, you see a young Remy Malik, you know, who you won the mentioned Oscar. that I think a long time ago because I'm a big Remy Malik fan, and yeah. I always thought he was new to the scene, and it's like no, he's, he's been around, been around yeah. for a while, and like yeah, he was great in this. Jesse Plemons as well, absolutely, who, like you know. like, and I that was that's like it's funny because we were talking about that character before for something else, but out of the actors mm. and the way their story is written. His is probably the most satisfying to me because it makes sense to me. Yeah. He's the son. So yeah. he's like, he's the one that understands it's all smoke and mirrors yeah. and that this is a business yeah. and that like he doesn't care enough except that it helps pay his bills. Yeah. That's, yeah, I could see the son of a big cult leader being exactly like that. I, I dated one, not a son, a daughter mm. of a big cult leader um, that was very much like that. You know what I mean? That That is the position. It's just like, well, because they, they know the person internally. And so it's very difficult, I think, for that person to separate the individual that they know from the cult leader. Mm -hmm. And once you have that problem, then the cult no longer seems, you know, tenable. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, clearly actors, very good actors, young actors want to work with him. So there's 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 yeah. something special about the you know his films and the performances. Yeah, it reminded me it reminded me of the other stuff that I kind of like but don't like because I don't understand it as well, but I like it slightly more than this, which is the problem, but we talk about what was it, Dogtown? Not Dogtown. Uh, Dogville. Dogville. Yeah. The and, Dogma. Dogma. And those directors, and I've watched yeah, yeah. a few other people, like Lars other, von Trier. Yeah, from guys. from that that yeah. group, and they're all like like this. They're all dedicated to the yeah. cause. Like you yeah. can call any of the actors up on this list, and most of them are Nordic, but there are ones that are not yeah. that will show up for him and do whatever he wants. Yeah. And like I like those films when I understand why I'm watching them. Right. Paul but, Thomas but, Anderson yeah. gets a bit better billing, I guess, is mm. the only thing that I'm confused about is the, like why he's not well, pure he's, art he's house. Old, he's old school Hollywood. Like his, I think his parents were producers. Okay. And so he's kind of been in, in, in the world for, for a while. And I, you know, I, I think that there is, uh, honestly, if you watch any of his films, I think there's two that I would recommend. Mm. One is Hard Eight, which is his first feature. Always say that one, John yeah. C. Riley. It's phenomenal. It's about gambling. It's, I think you would love is it. it. Is, is it a serious role for John C. Riley? Yeah. I mean, I always find that the hardest because he's such a funny man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but he is he's phenomenal. Like, he's like, like that, yeah. But the, the, the funny thing is that I, I remember him from that. That's kind of one of the first things that I saw him in. And then I saw him be hilarious in all the stuff that he's done since. But I've always felt that he he's one of these Robin Williams guys. He is. That is he very is. funny, but he could deliver. No, an I mean he, deli he delivers sadness really well as well. Yeah. He has that way of doing it with his face, like yeah. he, and very much like Robin Williams used to be able to do it with his face, yeah. where he just even the, the comedy just because it's a sad clown. You yeah. know what I mean? So I, I mean, for me, Hard Eight. And and he wasn't in this one. That that yeah. I, that's a no notable PTA guy that wasn't in mm. the, the the master is, yeah. is C. Thomas Riley. That's that's interesting. John C. Riley. Yeah. John C. Riley. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, because it's all the actors that do that. It's all the actors yeah. that. <laughs> yeah, he has he has, but he has them. You know, he, hey, and, and that's, his go to guys. I respect that. That's what we talk about on the podcast. That's not my type of film, guys. The type of films I like are the money makers. Why? Because mm. I'm a businessman. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah. come back to the fact that that's that's my bread and butter. You know, that's where I come to. But, you know, if you are one of those filmmakers looking for that, the only thing I would say is you have to then, instead of breeding money, you have to breed loyalty. 
Yes, and and you have to understand that the game that you're in is the award game, mm. because um, the reason that Paul Thomas Anderson keeps you know being given money to make films is because they win awards, not because they make tons of money. It's just a fact. Well, and I wonder now. Riddle me this, because I'm always asking these questions on the podcast, really to see a how Ed feels about. It, but anybody else too, please feel free to come back to me on this. You know, one of the cinema places that I can see that that caters more to this type of cinema, this type of film, is and I was just talking about this because Jill Six was really mm. excited that the stylist has ended up in Korea, in South mm. Korea, um, and I was really funny because I said actually now that I think about it, the stylist is a perfect film for South Korea mm. because they blend art house into kind of their mainstream films, and there's a huge amount of production money in Korea for stuff like the Vengeance trilogy mm. and stuff like that. Now. I still think they have a better storyline going through them, but the shot techniques are just like we see here in The Master. They like to tell their stories, not just by what they're telling you, but usually by showing you. Mm. You know what I mean? And that's what I'm saying. Like, Paul Thomas Anderson is a, is a, a misnomer in the West. Like, I just don't... You don't see this type of film making tons of money. Mm. You don't t- see tons and tons of directors doing this. But mm. for some reason in Korea... They are completely happy to back these guys with that kind of money, and their cinema mm. makes money off of all those types of films. Yeah. So there's probably a connection there, and that's why I throw it out into the ether saying, if someone else wants to do the work, eventually I will get around to matching this up and saying, aha, this is how mm. the business model works in Korea. But riddle me that. You mm. know what I mean? Like, it isn't like there aren't Paul Tom Anderson's in the world making money off this stuff. Mm. It's just this is not a strategy that I would set out for anyone outside of, you know, Europe is supposedly another place you could do this. So the French directors Mm. tell me that there's lots of funding within Europe so you can make these types of films and always have them backed. In the UK, we don't have that. It's just not, the funding's not as big and in the US, certainly not, you know? So one of the really interesting things about Korean cinema um, is that uh, for the longest time they had a uh, quota minimum which meant that 75% of all screens in the country had to be showing Korean-made films. Oh. Now, other countries have done that in the past. Um, They've proposed that here, and it's, I mean, it was shot down. Spain know. did it. Mexico has done it. France did it. And what's really interesting is to see the, the coincidence of those times with considered golden ages for these countries. Oh, man, I love when you tell me these stories. <laughs> uh, and and it, it it has an effect. It's protectionism, which no free market it's, person And this is likes. why I wish we had the YouTube, because if you saw every time he's saying this, guys, he's giving me a look because he knows I was about to bash him over the head saying, I've told you protectionism <laughs> yeah. doesn't work. Again, because I work on a global market. Yeah. However, like, you know... I, these are the things I'll tell you. Like mm. I've learned that in my 15 years in the business world, like stranger things happen, right? Like mm. sometimes. And in this case, it's like, yeah, I mean, the UK film industry, we all say it is just not where it should be. And it's a shame because we have some of the most talented filmmakers, actors. You know, how many of, of, of the people here are making money worldwide? You know, but these will be all for, for local things. It, you know, we are at Brexit, so we do need to find things that we are good at. 
and that we can sustain the, the country with like mm. does that mean we do that well if, if you have a you know there are a good percentage of countries doing this these days china for one has been talking about this with how they're it's really funny the top film in china right now is a film about how they kick the crap out of the americans in the korean war <laughs> and i like i felt for my friend i remember my friend andreas who watched saving private ryan for me he was from germany is it most surreal experience I ever had watching mm. Saving Private Ryan with an exchange student from Germany. But he taught me a lot of how you would handle that situation. Because Americans, we have no clue. Like, yeah, Americans, yeah. we're not used to ever being looked at as the bad guys. Mm. We're the world heroes mm. our entire, my, at least my entire life. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, yeah. But now it's not really like that anymore. Like, people are being honest, you know, and being like, well, you're not really heroes anymore. And mm. this is pointing out, like, we're some Chinese guys, you know, definitely fought us back across the line or whatever it was. So... You have to learn to kind of like, how do I deal with all that? Mm. But uh, my point was the protectionism puts that in place in China. They, mm. they promote, they, they fund, they make sure that these films are whatever. Now, I'm not saying we all need to be like China, guys. The, please don't throw me under the bus and <laughs> think like that. Like, China is China, and I'm not Chinese, so I have no idea what the real, real life is like over there. Like, mm. you know what I mean? I, I'm not making comment either way. Mm. But I am a real person living in England, and, and someday will be a British citizen. Someday when I get around to, to buying that, that citizenship <laughs> card. And... And you need things here that will keep people, A, employed, and B, that we can be proud of. And mm. I, cinema here for me yeah. is one of those. Like yeah. We have such a good tradition, not just in horror, but, but mm. in a lot of other things. And I just think, yeah, why not try that? You know, Especially in the current government. A Boris Johnson government could do it. Mm. You know, We get another Tony Blair government, which is where this is going to swing eventually, guys. Like, yeah, Trust me, 100%. politics is politics, mm -hmm. and it will go to the other end of the pendulum uh, you know when it when it goes but while we have a conservative government in that it is rather protectionist and is looking for things like that like yeah stamp it out say 75 percent of the films are but then see, the problem is ed and here's where i don't you know this is me getting political on, on on the podcast what i don't believe will happen is then you have to get the funding together to make sure that you can make 75 percent of films for for british you know whatever yeah. and that's where it all seems to fall apart to me because i've seen that happen in france seen that happen in, in spain i've seen that everywhere else I see a real problem here with that. For some reason, the BFI, and this isn't me trying to shit on you guys. It's just trying to say, like, you're very tight-fisted with the funds you give out, and, and you seem to go back to the same people every time. Like, that's not a good system for distributing funds for filmmakers. It just isn't. You know, we know that. We've seen that other places. Mm. So, I mean, it's interesting. I really like that perspective you gave me mm -hmm. because, yeah, I, I'd be all for it if, if the films are going to get made. And that's not saying our films have to get made. I'm just saying... Films yeah, yeah, have to get made. Yeah, you have yeah, to green light. You, you have to kind of, you know, create the environment for, for that to happen. Well, because think know. of all the different players. So Cineworld's a good one, right? Cineworld, God. Like, Cineworld just told me with my Cineworld pass. I, first of all, you can get a Cineworld pass now and you get three months free, guys. Like, that won't last forever, so get it now. <laughs> they are broke and they desperately need people to come. So they're trying anything. Today I was told with my cinema pass I will also get a taste card, which is like another freebies card. Like they're just trying anything because they need people, people to come to the cinema, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. So that's what I'm saying. If you make it requirement, 75% of everything has to show it, you have to think of Cineworld. You have to make things mm -hmm. that are going to make them money. Right. And not make it so that 75% of the shows means that no one goes to cinema anymore. Right. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. So yeah. that's my only thing. But oh, I like yeah. that. We'll, we will blog about that. I need, mm. to, need to have more thoughts about all that. Mm. Okay. So Paul Thomas Anderson, we've yeah. talked a lot about why and what you can get from this, but I, I, you know, last bit before we we sign off because it is getting late. Yeah. Um, can you go into some detail? Maybe pick a couple of scenes that you thought were brilliant. Sure. You know what I mean? And as to why this is filmmaking one hundred and one, this is like yeah. masterclass kind of shit. Yeah. Because again, those are some of our listeners will be that way. I and, and, and honestly, out of jealousy, like I didn't pay enough attention to remember those scenes, <laughs> so I need you to explain them to me again, please. Okay. So I, I'm putting on my student cap. You know, yeah. I'm gonna yeah. shut up now. Uh, okay, so there is a scene where 
Um, Freddy is now working in like a department store. He's taking pictures uh, of people. And uh, you follow this very beautiful girl. She's wearing a fur jacket. <gasps> I yeah. love that scene. Yeah, okay. Uh, so um, it's a single tracking shot that follows her through the department store. It goes behind columns, in and out, and it is just a beautiful expression of uh, like movement in cinema. And the so one of the biggest things um, about watching PTA and, and studying him is that he is a devotee of this guy called Max Offels. Okay. Okay. Max Offels was a German director who began his career in the 30s. That's right. Nazi Germany. Um, (laughs) Because I I, I was watching Hitler's Hollywood and you laughed at me, but, you know, it was helpful for for this podcast. Max Offels. There you go. Uh, He he ends up running away. uh, Okay, so he's not Offels. Good. (laughs) He starts making films in France. Okay. And... um, there's a few just incredible examples. Um, you've got La Ronde, Letter from an Unknown Woman, and The Earrings of Madame De, and then dot, dot, dot. Um, films that most people have never heard of. Mm. But if you, if, you, if you watch these films, every single shot is moving. Every single this, shot. This is why we need you, though, man. This, this is why is, this is story time. This I is love this shit. 1930s to uh, 1940s. Okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna enjoy finding this. Like he he was absolutely obsessed with making the camera move and what each movement meant and how it would affect. And that's how we get things like uh, the Spielberg close up. Watch any Spielberg film, and there in this in a very tense moment, the camera will push in. On the protagonist, right? Ever so slightly, right? Because I, I, I remember some, reading about this. The movement yeah. has to be quite short because if you make it long, then it gets yeah, a bit Sometimes it's quite joking. fast, yeah. right? But yeah, it kind of goes in like that. Jaws is kind of the perfect example, right? right. Um, and that comes from Max Offels. That comes from this guy who developed all these camera techniques. And Paul Thomas Anderson is, is a devoted follower of Max Offels. And you can see, because any time the camera moves... It's moving for a reason, it's moving beautifully, and it's moving perfectly. So I think if there's anything to be learned from PTA, it's camera movement. Yeah, I mean, that's such an interesting thing, because like, like, that's what I mean about his film. Like, that particular scene could have been its own short film. Oh, 100%. And, and strangely enough, I thought it was, because I thought it was, I thought it was introducing me, because it is a PTA film, and he has all these moving characters. Mm. I thought it was introducing me to, to an new, important yeah, character. Yeah, yeah. Like, a really important character. She's yeah. beautiful in that yeah. scene. And then, like, she's not. Like, <laughs> just to ruin it. Okay, yeah. I mean, we're past the spoilers point, but, like, yeah, she was gone after, yeah. like, a scene, and I was like, wait, what? Yeah. Like, oh, okay. And I think that that, that is... That's kind of the joy of of a PTA is as something to study, almost like a painting that you look at the brush strokes and you, like you said, it's very rewatchable once you start kind of discovering some of these things. Well, and and it, and it makes sense because like what he, the difference between he and I, and this is how I love about filmmaking is you can start identifying these like core differences. Mm-hmm. I'm a person. That's why I love story, because story has continuity and ending, yep. right? It has a definite, it has a, a narrative, which is 
like the thing that moves me in yeah. life. Like yeah. the narrative of life is what motivates everything that I do. Yeah. You know what I mean? And that's why I try to get away from religion because I'm like, it's just another narrative that I would insert into the fact that I need to have meaning in the things that I do. And you know what's interesting is that it's almost a shame because this this subject matter has some juice. There's stories and there. This is what know? I'm saying. Like for him, yeah. he doesn't need that because he's an yeah. artist. And yeah. so he wants you to just see it. And he doesn't care really. And this is a sign of a really good artist, to be honest. Like mm. having just watched the Velvet you know, Underground documentary and talking about Andy Warhol and mm-hmm. all his people, like it wasn't that people understood it. It was the fact that they didn't that made it so amazing. You know what I mean? And so that's how he is. It's like very much like I don't care whether you like this or not. This is the image that I'm going to conjure for this. And sometimes, like we just talked about, the, like the, the woman with the, the coat, Jesus, like yeah. it just—it's magical. Like you're like, I was just there for a second, mm. and then other times it doesn't work. But for him, it doesn't matter because at least he gets those points in every single, every single way. So yeah. it's just interesting to me. Like I, I would never figure out that you could look at someone's directing style and then figure out kind of how they looked at things. Mm. But that is fundamentally different from and the way that I do, at least. Yeah, and that's kind of the auteur model, right? That's the uh it's it's hitchcock versus uh you know david lean for example mm-hmm. right it's it's the guy who you watch a film and you're like of course that's that guy's film like i can see exactly the little quirks and things like that and then there's the craftsman the guy who works to the story and is everything like is clockwork and it, they're almost making a beautiful table right yeah and yeah. and it's it's just well made, but it it has to be functional. It's a table. You need to use it. Well, you know? it, it's you remember I had some qualms about Peyton Reed back yeah. in the day because I said he was like that. Yeah, I yeah. said he was just a paint by the numbers kind yeah. of guy. But then I saw some of the stuff he could do on his own, right. and I saw some of that artsmanship. Yeah. But yeah, it's interesting. I mean, Paul Thomas Anderson, like that 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 would, that would be a good one. Here's one to pitch on the podcast. Mm. See if it gets picked up anywhere. But. Paul Thomas Anderson does an MCU. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> that would be awesome. Like, Kevin Feige have a fucking heart attack. Well, okay, so this is the other thing that I wanted to say. So the other film that I would recommend anyone to watch is okay. Punch Drunk Love. Oh, yes. Um, yes now, the, the funny thing about that is that most people argue that it's perhaps Adam Sandler's best performance. Mm. Uh, although Hidden Gems, I still haven't seen it, apparently. See, I've seen Hidden Gems and not Punch Drunk Love. Hidden Gems... Wow, but he the, nails that. Yeah, the, the, the point is, though... That uncut Gems, Paul, sorry. Yeah, Uncut Gems, thank you. Um, Paul Thomas Anderson was such a huge fan of uh, Adam Sandler that he wanted to make an Adam Sandler film. And that was Punch Drunk Love. That's really cool. <laughs> See, I know. This, this is what I mean. These are the funny things when you start talking about stuff like that. Like, mm. he sounds like a guy I'd actually probably get along oh, with quite 100%. well. Oh, 100%. And he's married to Maya Rudolph, who's like oh, one really? of the funniest women wow. in the world. Yeah. Lucky Maya. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? So, you know, it's just, it's one of those things. Like, that's that's why we have the podcast to talk about. Like, it's not my style. I wouldn't make films yeah, yeah. like this because, again, as a producer, which is my, my main thing in the writing thing, like, I have to get behind it 100%. Like, yeah. I, can't, I can't kind of think, well, I kind of like this, but maybe I don't. Like, I have to be able to, because I'm the one that's going to be out there trying to get more people involved and get you money yeah. and all that stuff. So, But understanding the, the, the game that you're playing, with a director. That's right. Like and the, I mean, the PTA. biggest problem I would have with working with a Paul Thomas Anderson, and, and this doesn't mean I wouldn't work with you, buddy, because I always need the experience, but, but I mean, I, he is written, directed, and produced, right? Like, it's it's always all three, and maybe not the producer, because I think Weinstein used to pick up his stuff. Yeah. Like, I yeah. saw lots of stuff like that in the background. 
but it's the directed and written by. Yeah. I would take the story away from him and say, I'm really, really sorry because I know you want to make it your way, mm. but I want you to direct someone else's story. That and would he, be an interesting And he may story. throw his cookies out, you know, cookies yeah, out and yeah, say, I yeah. won't, I could never possibly do that because it is Chris Nolan in the art house. And world. again, though, that's. But I think that yeah. would be an interesting film yeah, to watch. Yeah. And I, and I think that that is also the trap that a lot of young indie filmmakers fall into in thinking that they can do oh, it's, the it's, PTA it's writer you know, director. Even even I, you know, we had that conversation, but yeah. it happens because you go to a fright fest, or you go to a celluloid screens just going on next week, or you go to a London film festival. And the issue is, you you see a young upstart. There are tons of us now that do all three. Yeah, yeah. that will you know because you kind of have to in the world. You today. do, Ed. Yeah, yeah. I do, yeah. but we don't. What we found out when we had another producer, our guy, our guy James, he's awesome, and we sat around the round table and discussed this next feature we're doing. Mm-hmm. Like the interesting thing was, it's it's not necessarily can you do it. It's what's the most efficient exactly. way to do this. Why? Because. For our level, for guys that are just coming out, for us that are making the indie stuff and trying to get the money together, you don't have time on your side. Yeah. And so if you have to sit there and write, direct, and whatever, well, it, I would say you know, if you're in a situation where you don't have a day job and this is your whole life and you... You can devote that kind exactly, of time Exactly. Somehow and you've and saved up your bones sanity. for it or whatever, yeah, you know, yeah. like then fine. Okay, maybe you could do it. I still... Would have hesitation because it's like it's your one shot. So and that's the thing. It's 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 a gamble. It's like playing the lottery. And it's, that's what you're and doing. And it's just because practically we know how this really works. Like mm. I don't think you're ever really going to be. Mm. And correct me if I'm wrong, guys. Ever going to be the filmmaker, writer, director, producer that has twenty grand they can live off of, forty grand they can live off for a year, mm. and make a fifty grand film mm. at the same time? If you have those kind of bones, I don't ever believe Amazing. you're going to be an independent filmmaker. Bullshit! <laughs> I think you're already working at Warner Brothers because your dad knows the guy at the door. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like that's all I'm saying. For people in our situation, and we do have different walks. Ed does what he does with his day job. I do with mine. We mm. have friends who do all sorts of different things. But you're just not going to have the time to sit there and do all three well. And that was the discussion because God knows Ed and James did not want me to feel like they weren't, James especially, who's been one of our best proponents, happy with kind of where things were going. But they had to seriously come to me and said, you know, and your day job, Jay, like how do you do all of that? Mm. Because for directing, what, what, what you're not hearing and what I'm not saying is I would have had to open up another book of Shot by Shot and had to sit with Ed for hours saying... Okay, I think it should look like this. Mm. I think it should look like this. And that just takes time. Mm. And so that's what I'm saying. Like, don't try to do all three. I would like it even better if I wasn't so close to the story on this one. That would be the next thing I'd be giving up on this, uh, you know, on this feature that we're doing. I'd say someone else needs to finish the story. Mm. Because because it's as, as I can tell you, it's difficult. I have to find an hour every day, at least. Mm. And it's slow. Like, mm. I was working heavily over the summer because I had a bit more time. But mm. Jesus, man, like... I'd probably be done with it by now and I'm not even close. And so that's what I'm saying. Like, don't feel bad at yourself for stuff like that. Don't, you know, don't walk down the PTA and say, like, I have to do it right. this way. It's all on me kind of thing. Yeah. Source it out. You know, make this, make this a thing. And, and you, what you'll do is still a Paul Thomas Anderson thing. You'll still get the respect mm. of the people in your crew. So, you know, it's the only thing, as I said, I could tell him how to do do his business, but he has enough people already that say he knows how to do his business just fine. And so that's why, A, he doesn't need a producer like me, but B, he'll continue to make films the way he wants to because he's got that set up. For you, my young indie filmmaker, like, just make sure that you aren't shooting yourself in the foot and that yeah. you aren't taking on more than you need to be. We aren't all, or most of us, Paul Thomas Anderson's. Mm. He's a rarity. 
Um, and that's a great thing, but also something to bear in mind for the rest of us that just want to make a movie. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, I mean, I'm I'm very interested to see Phantom Thread, which was the 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 late his latest movie, mm. which I, again I think did it win Daniel Day Lewis his sixth Oscar or something like that. Was it Daniel Day Lewis? Yeah. No, it was Jeremy Irons. Was it? No, no, no Jeremy Irons is House of, of Gucci. Uh, yeah, he came out of retirement from being a cobbler to to make the Phantom Thread. Daniel Day Lewis is a weird dude. Uh, and he's also... I, I, don't, he, he, I don't think these are weird dudes. I, I think the biggest thing you see with PTA and his whole crowd is they're so sheltered. Mm. Like, they just don't really exist. Joaquin Felix... Felix. Joaquin Phoenix does not exist in the real world anymore. <laughs> he just doesn't. Like, don't get me wrong. Like, that's not his fault. No, no. It's more like the, the cult of personality yeah, that's yeah. come with all the success I mean, it's, it's the Hollywood thing. You, you know? know? I'm sure he is a real person. I just mm. don't oh, think 100%. he lives in the real world anymore. 100%. You know? 100%. Uh, but he's got a new one coming out this year, I think. Maybe next year. It's called Licorice Pizza. Okay. And it's a coming-of-age story set in the 70s. Again, he, I think you'd get along really well with him because he's a lover of that kind of period in Hollywood yeah, as well. Yeah, and, and, like and, and like that's what I mean. Like, like the master, like, Jesus, I didn't like the story because I was like, man, like, it was too much... It was a 2012 story anyway. Yeah. Like, and that stuff is so dated so quickly yeah. now. Because and this is this is my thing about him is... Uh, is his type of movie? I'm not saying is it is it done. We're never going to see anything like it. But I feel like times have moved a little bit and changed a little I bit. I think so. that, that's you know? what I would say. Only because like back then there wasn't like the stuff I watched the week before, like Fleabag yeah, and yeah, I yeah. Will Destroy You, which yeah. are female perspectives on yeah. things. But and it, that way it didn't shine such a big light on the fact that it's it's the same perspective every time. And yeah. and I'm sorry to say because I find it almost no, offensive no. to say it's the it's the perspective of. A, uh, you know, white, white male, male. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, because I'm like, I, I don't think there's anything wrong with that perspective. No, it's no, just no. in cinema at the moment. Yeah. We seek a wider volume yes. now. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, again, like maybe he adapts. Um, I think that, you know, his, his, the art, I think what he can really do is inspire young filmmakers. I think he can teach the importance of the the frame and the shot in the way that you know we learnt previous generations learned from previous that's what I mean and this is why I do think I'm a generally good producer because think about him right now I am listening to a ton of Childish Gambino because I love Donald Glover think about a writer like Donald Glover writing for Paul Thomas Anderson how fucking dope would that film be because he's that powerful type of writer and he knows how to write Paul Thomas Anderson makes introspective films the other thing I will generally say I like about his stuff Mm. is you can tell it's all being written from an internal perspective he's writing about struggles that you can't see but he's trying to visualize it for you It's, it's, it's almost as if you're that person going through that struggle so donald glover i mean his whole thing is about talking about where he came from and how he came up and he does it so i'm sorry childish came i'm listening to camp right now if you guys have listened to that album it's so eloquent like it's so eloquent like so good so good just insanely good right and so i'm like a guy like that with that kind of writing chops would grow from having a guy like pta film his shit i agree and show him like you say Let's take it like this, Donald. Yeah, yeah. Like, let's take the shot like this. Yeah. So that's what I'm telling you on the podcast. Get it out to them, guys. Donald Glover, PTA, make a film right now. And call me and I'll help you produce it. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Copyright. <laughs> Every episode. Without, without a doubt. Someone just stealing all this shit on the side. Someone said, cause it, wasn't there a show where that happens? Where she shows up? Yes, it was. It was fucking like Carly. My daughter watches the show where they like this is studio in Seattle that just basically pirated all of iCarly's ideas oh, yeah. and made them in their own thing. 
Sorry. I have to watch so many episodes of that with my daughter. So that's why I have a feeling like someone could be doing that the LVP podcast over at like Warner Brothers. Like, okay, it's Donald Glover. <laughs> call them now. Call them now. Yeah, absolutely. All right, guys. Well, that's all I have for me on this one. Is there anything more? I know I only had you do one scene, but it's because because I, I know it's getting late and um, we have talked quite a bit about the master. But any other final final thoughts? Of um, not really. Just uh, you know, I think it's it's a great film. I feel like I've been a bit negative about it, um, and and that's not my intention. It's it's definitely a film to 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 look at and study and learn from which I think for a lot of our audience would be super interesting. Um, so yeah, definitely check it out. Right. It's, it's the difference in, so final thoughts, like it's the difference. This is a film to watch and study, not a film to mimic. Okay. Like I don't know how to say it any more than that. There's lots of other films that you're going to watch that are going to be, I need that element of it. Or yep. I'm going to steal that Hitchcock Jesus. Like you can take so many things of his and put them in your own films and they'll work every time. This one, the shots will work. But I would say, don't try to say, I want to create a story like this. Because he's creating a very personal, something in his head. Mm. And it works for him, and it works for the people that work with him. But I guarantee you it won't work for you know an indie crew that doesn't know you as well as you think they do. So try, try, try to make sure that you always are aiming for something that you know that an audience is going to kind of gravitate towards on the story side. But also, study Paul Thomas Yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right, folks. Next episode is episode 100. We've already said it now. We're going to be watching Dune. Dune. Wow, we're excited. Every time I see that trailer now, I get chills. I got chills. Get thee behind me, Satan. There we go, folks. Love you very much. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye. I want to resist, but the moon is low and I can't say no. Get thee behind me. Get thee behind me, Satan. I mustn't be kissed, but the moon is low and I may let go. Get thee behind me.